Chapter 3 of the Hollow Tree Snowden Book. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by M. Bradley Peters. The Hollow Tree Snowden Book by Albert Bigelow Payne. Chapter 3 Mr. Dog at the Circus. The Hollow Tree People learned something very important about shows. That was a great Christmas in the hollow tree. The coon and the possum and the old black crow had been getting ready for it for a long time and brought in ever so many nice things to eat, which Mr. Crow had cooked for them, for Mr. Crow was the best cook of anybody in the big deep woods. Then Mr. Dog had brought a lot of good things too, which he had borrowed from Mr. Man's house. So they had the finest Christmas dinner you can think of, and plenty for the next day, when it would be even better, because chicken and turkey and dressing and such things are always better the next day, and even the third day with gravy than they are when they are first cooked. Then, when they were all through and were standing around, smoking their new pipes and looking at each other's new neckties and other Christmas things, Mr. Crow said that he and Mr. Squirrel would clear off the table if the others would get some wood and stir up the fire and set the room to rights so they could gather around and be comfortable by and by. And then, he said, it might snow as much as it liked, as long as they had plenty of wood and things to eat inside. So then they all scurried around, getting on their things to go out after wood, all except for Mr. Crow and Mr. Squirrel, who set about clearing off the table and doing the dishes. And pretty soon, Mr. Dog and Mr. Coon and the rest were hopping about where the snow was falling so soft and silent among the big leafless trees gathering nice pieces of wood and brushing the snow off of them and piling them into the first downstairs of the hollow tree, which the coon and possum and the old black crow used for their wood house and their general storeroom. It was great fun, and they didn't feel the least bit cold after their warm dinner and with all that brisk exercise. Mr. Robin didn't help carry the wood in. He was hardly strong enough for that. But he hopped about and looked for good pieces, and when he found one he would call to Mr. Coon or Mr. Possum and or maybe one of the others, to throw it on his shoulder and carry it in. And then he would tell whoever it happened to be how strong he was and how fine he looked with that great chunk on his shoulder, and would say that he didn't suppose there was another coon or possum or turtle or rabbit or dog that could begin to stand up straight under such a chunk as that anywhere outside of the menagerie. Mr. Robin likes to say pleasant things to his friends, and is always popular. And each one tried to carry the biggest load of wood to show how strong he was. And pretty soon... They all had the lower room of the hollow tree piled up high with the finest chunks of kindling pieces to be found anywhere. Then they all hurried upstairs, stamping the snow off their feet, and gathered around the nice warm fire in the big parlor, which was just below the three big hollow branches, where the coon and possum and the old black crow had their rooms. Mr. Crow and Mr. Squirrel were through with the table by this time, and all hands lit their pipes and looked into the fire and smoked and rested and thought a little before they began talking thinking, of course, of what a good time they were having and how comfortable and nice it was to be inside and warm when such a big snow was falling outside. Mr. Possum was the first one to say anything. He said he had been thinking of what Mr. Robin had said about them being outside of a menagerie, and that, come to think about it, he believed he didn't know what a menagerie was, unless it was a new name for a big dinner, as that was the only thing he could think of now that they were outside of, and he said that if that was so, and if he could get outside of two menageries, 
he thought he could carry in a bigger chunk than any two chunks there were downstairs. And all the others laughed a good deal, and Mr. Coon said he thought that perhaps a menagerie was something to wear that would make somebody who had it on very strong, and able to stand up under a big load, and to eat as much as Mr. Possum could, or even more. But Mr. Robin said that it didn't mean either of those things. He said he didn't really know what it did mean himself, but that it must be some kind of place that had a great many large creatures in it, for he had heard his grandmother, quite often call his grandfather, the biggest goose outside of a menagerie. Though, being very young then, Mr. Robin couldn't remember just what she had meant by it. Mr. Rabbit said he had thought the word menagerie sounded like some kind of a picnic with swings and nice lively games. And Mr. Crow said that once when he was flying, he passed over a place where there was a big sign that said menagerie on it, and that there were some tents and a crowd of people and a great noise, and that he hadn't seen anything that he could carry off without being noticed, so he didn't stop. Mr. Squirrel thought that, from what Mr. Crow said, it must be a place where there would be a lot of fine things to see, and Mr. Turtle said that he was a good deal over 300 years old, and had often heard of a menagerie, but that he had never seen one. He said that he always supposed it was a nice pond of clear water, with a lot of happy turtles and fish and wild geese and duck and such things in it, and maybe some animals around it, all living happily together and taken care of by Mr. Man, who brought them a great many good things to eat. He had always thought he would like to live in a menagerie, he said, but that nobody had ever invited him, and he had never happened to come across one in his travels. Mr. Dog hadn't been saying anything all this time but he knocked the ashes out of his pipe now, filled it up fresh and lit it, and cleared his throat and began to talk. It made him smile, he said, to hear the different ways people thought of a thing they had never seen. He said that Mr. Turtle was the only one who came anywhere near to what a menagerie really was. Though, of course, Mr. Crow had seen one on the outside. Then Mr. Dog said, I know all about menageries. On the outside and on the inside, too. For I've been to one. I went once with Mr. Man. Though I wasn't really invited to go. In fact, Mr. Man invited me to stay at home. And tried to slip off from me. But I watched which way he went. And took long roundings on him. And slipped in behind him when he went to the tent. He didn't know for a while that I was there. And I wasn't there so very long. But it was plenty long enough. And a good deal longer than I'd ever stay again unless I was tired. I'd never seen so many wild, fierce-looking creatures in my life as there were in that menagerie, and they were just as wild and fierce as they looked. They had a lot of cages full of them, and they had some outside of cages, though I don't know why they should leave any of those dangerous animals around where they could damage folks that happened to come into reach as I did. Those animals outside didn't look as wild and fierce as those in the cages, but they were. I kept in the crowd, close behind Mr. Man at first. Nobody knew I was there. But by and by, he climbed up into a seat to watch some people, all dressed up in fancy clothes, ride around a ring on horses, which I didn't care much about. So I slipped away and went over to where there was some things that I wanted to take my time to see quietly. There was an animal about my size and style tied over in one corner of the tent behind a rope with a sign in front him which said the only tame hyena in the world he looked smiling and good-natured and i went over to ask him some questions 
but that sign wasn't true. He wasn't the least bit tame, and I'm sure now that he wasn't smiling. He grabbed me before I had a chance to say a word, and when I jerked loose, which I did right away, for I didn't want to stir up any fuss there, I left quite a piece of my ear with that tamed hyena, and tripped backward over a rope, and rolled right in front of a creature they called an elephant, about as big as a house, and not as useful. I suppose they thought he was tame too, but he must have been tamed by the same man, for he grabbed me with a kind of tail that grew on the end of his nose. A good deal like Mr. Possum's tail, only about a million times as big, and I could hear my ribs crack as he waved me up and down. Of course, as I say, I didn't want to stir up any fuss, but I couldn't keep still under such treatment as that, and I called right out to Mr. Man, where he sat looking at the fancy people riding, and told him that I've had enough of the show, and if he wanted to take any of me home, he ought not to wait very long, but come over that way and see if he couldn't get that tame elephant to practice that performance on the hyena or the next dog, because I had had plenty, and was willing to go home just as I was, all in one piece, even if not very lively. Mr. Man came, too, and so did a lot of the others. They seemed to think that I was a lot more to look at than those riding people, and some of them laughed, though what was happening that was funny, I have never been able to guess to this day. I kept right on telling Mr. Man what I wanted him to do, and maybe I made a good deal of noise about it, for it seemed to stir up those other animals. There was a cage for lions that started the most awful roaring you can think of, and a cage of crazy-looking things they call monkeys that screeched and howled and swung back and forth in rings and held onto the bars and all the other things joined in and, and until I couldn't tell whether I was still saying anything or not. I suppose they were all jealous of that elephant because of the fun he was having and howling to be let out so they could get a hold of me too. Well, you never heard of such a time. It nearly broke up the show. Everybody ran over to look and even the riding people stopped their horses to enjoy it too. If it only hadn't been so dangerous and unpleasant, I should have been proud of the way they came to see me perform. But Mr. Man didn't seem to like it much. I heard him tell somebody, as loud as he could, that I would be killed and that I was the best dog he ever had, and that if I was killed, he'd sue the show. That made me proud, too. But I wish he wouldn't wait to sue the show, but would do something right away. And just then, a man with a fancy dress on and a stick with a sharp iron hook on it came running up and said something I didn't understand and hit the elephant with the hook into the stick. And he gave me an extra big swing and a crack and flung me halfway across the tent where I landed on a bunch of hay right in front of a long-necked thing called a, a camel, another terrible tame creature, I suppose, who had me about half eaten up with his old long underlip before Mr. Man could even get over there. When Mr. Man did get a hold of me, he said that I'd better take what was left of me home for they were going to feed the animals pretty soon, and, and that I would likely get mixed up with the bill of fare. After that, he took me to the entrance and pushed me outside. I heard all those fierce creatures in the cages growl and roar louder than ever, as if they had expected to sample me and were sorry to see me go. That's what a menagerie is. It's a place where they have all these kinds of animals and things in the world for show, and a good many birds, and maybe turtles too, but they don't have any fine clear pond. They just have a big tent, like the one Mr. Crow saw, and a lot of cages inside. They keep most animals in cages, and they ought to keep them all there. And I don't think they feed them very much, nor the best things, or they wouldn't look so fierce and hungry. 
They just keep them there for Mr. Man and his friends to look at and talk about, and if Mr. Turtle will take my advice, he will keep out of a menagerie and live in the wide blue water where he was born. I wouldn't have gone there again unless I had been tied and dragged there, or unless they had put those tame animals in the cages with the others. No doubt there are some very fine, strong animals in a menagerie, but they wouldn't be there if they could help it, and if anybody ever invites any of you to join a menagerie, take my advice and don't do it. Then Mr. Dog knocked the ashes out of his pipe again, and all the other deep woods people knocked the ashes out of their pipes too, and filled them up fresh. And one said one thing, and one said another about being in a menagerie or out of it, and everyone thought it would be a terrible thing to be shut up in a cage, except Mr. Possum, who said he wouldn't mind it if they would let him sleep enough and give him all he could eat, but that a cage without those things would be a lonesome place. Then Mr. Coon said that, a little adventure happened to him once, which he had never mentioned before, because he had never known just what to make of it. But he knew now, he said, that he had come very near to getting into a menagerie, and he would tell them just what happened. The storyteller looked down at the quiet little figure in his lap. The little lady's head was nestled close to his shoulder, and, and her eyes were straining very hard to keep open. I think we will save Mr. Coon's story till another night, he said. End of chapter 3 Recording by M. Bradley Peters